freshmen's in college. Now we're in 201, 200-level uh, courses, your sophomores. And, and uh, if you're like me, uh, when I went to college uh, at 18, just actually been 18 a few weeks, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know they actually wanted you to graduate in four years. So I crammed four years into five. I mean, it was not easy to do, but I did it. Some of you paying tuition for your kids now. You get that. Uh, here, here we are at a really strategic moment in, in the history of our church. And, and I want to announce today so that we can be prepared. Uh, just three weeks from now, on March 3rd, uh, we as a church family will be having an opportunity. You're, you're going to have to make a couple decisions. We've been talking about this. It is now time uh, to make a call. Uh, we are going to have an opportunity uh, to affirm the rebirth of our church and become Connect Church. Uh, we've proceeded in good faith. Our, our, our leaders, the way we're structured, uh, our leaders have come together and uh, we're working toward this, but there is a final piece to this, and that is our church family. And if you want to read this, I'm not going to do this now, but as far as church structure, in Acts chapter 6, you see a great place where the church had a big decision. They actually had a problem to overcome, and the leaders got out in front, uh, made a recommendation, and then the church, the family affirmed it, and because it made sense, it was the right way to go, and, and so if our leaders are doing the right thing and following God, it's going to make sense to you. If it doesn't, uh, you can't fake that. If it's not making sense to you, then, then the second decision we need to make is whether or not we will individually commit by way of signing a church covenant, saying, I covenant before God to be a faithful member of Connect Church, we will have an opportunity to sign that covenant, thus being charter members of Connect Church. And my hope and prayer is every single person here who knows Jesus, who has followed Christ in baptism, will feel led to be a part of this. But I'm not God. I don't impose that upon you. My job is to prepare you to help you see and hear the things you need to hear so that you can make a wise decision. Because I think it's really important to know what you're getting into before you get into it. I think that the look before you leap idea is a good idea, that you need to hear what you need to hear. And that's why we're taking the time with Connect 101, Connect 201. As we, you know, last month talked about what Christ community and purpose meant, this month we're talking about structure because structure is incredibly purpose, important, and, and your purpose cannot be accomplished unless your structure, the infrastructure of who you are, is strong enough to hold it all up. Uh, structure is more important than, than you realize. It affects virtually everything. Uh, J.E. Gordon, English scholar, wrote a book uh, that talked about why things do not fall down. Uh, you can read it. It's a, it's, it's a real page burner. 
but it basically spells out the reason from an engineering standpoint why a bridge doesn't fall down. It's because the structure supports it. And I, I spent some time this last week, got down a rabbit trail, uh, got off the main trail, and started reading all the stories throughout history uh, of, of major buildings that have, structures that have fallen down. And it, it, was, it was usually because the structure had not been built up to the codes of commonly accepted structure of the time, or they wore down over years, or there was an outside factor, like an earthquake. Uh, if you remember 1989 uh, World Series out in California, earthquake, I actually turned on the pre-games, and, and, and man, you watched it happen live, real time. And uh, the, the, the bridges, the, the interstates, especially the raised interstates began to wobble and they came down. Though that's an example, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, of a structure that was designed well but an outward factor came along and impacted that and caused damage. And so structure is important. It's important in building. It's important in relationships. When, when you get married, I'm amazed still how you get a marriage license and they hand it to you, you pay the money, you walk out, uh, and you don't study, you don't get ready for it, you, you, you don't take a test, you don't have to know anything, and yet... Marriage is, is far more complicated than driving a car, and you got to take a test to drive a car. I think you ought to have to take a test to get married, and, and some people should be told, don't get married. You haven't passed the test. Now, how many of that makes sense to you at all? I'm kind of being a little satirical here, but the truth is, it, it's, it's amazing how many people get married without knowing what kind of structure will support the marriage. Uh, when Kathy and I got married, granted, it, it was a few years ago. Uh, she had just turned 18 a few weeks, and I had just turned 20. And when we went and talked to the preacher, uh, he was you know, kind of nervous about it because we were going to be the first big wedding in a new building where Kathy grew up and went to church. And back then, they didn't require marriage counseling. And, and if anybody needed it, the Lord knew we needed it, but there was nothing offered. And, and we had thought, because we'd made a list of things we agreed on, that we were going, we bought that myth happily ever after, you know. I was the Prince Charming, she was the princess, and, and we were going to just, you know, marriage was going to be this amazing thing. But nobody told us what was coming. We had, a, we had no, no structure. And really, fr frankly, no structure is a structure. It's a poor structure. But we had no plan for what to do. I think one of our rules were that when we got married, I would make all the big decisions. She would make all the small decisions. We were married 20 years before I realized we hadn't had one big decision come up. <laughs> they were all small. And I'm still waiting for a big one to come up. We had to go back and get some help, understand what the Bible says about the structure of a Christian home. And if you're struggling right now with your home, you'd be surprised. It probably goes back to, to two things, structure, and that you're going to see something today through the, the main thought of today's talk 
has to do with the glue that holds the structure together. Remember that. What holds a good structure together? It's, it's something. You're going to learn about it today. In business, you need structure. You need a plan. In government, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who had a little something to do with the, the writing uh, of our Constitution, Declaration of Independence, a big influencer there, along with our other founding fathers. And uh, he, he was a student of history, and he, he saw in, in North America, among a group of Native American tribes, a group that seemed to have less war and seemed to prosper more than others. And he went and he heard about this, and he checked it out, and he writes about this. They had found a structure that worked better than the other nation tribes around them. And it was a division of powers, three separate powers. The warring class, the men of fighting age, the chiefs, and the women. And the, the chief couldn't pass something without the, the warring guys signing on. And the guys that wanted to go to war couldn't go to war unless the women signed off. All three had to agree. And, and Jefferson, that makes sense. What about we have a president, and then maybe a Congress, and how about a judicial branch? That's our three branches. And they're all equal. Did you all know that? And, and so what? that's a good structure. But what we're seeing happen right now, and this happens in church, that's why I'm telling you this, it happens in home. If you do not have something holding that structure together, it can be the best structure in the world, and it will come unraveled. Today we're going to talk about what that is that holds it all together. And so today I hope you'll join me. We're going to jump in here, just three thoughts. Uh, relating to this issue of structure, you need it in your personal life. If your life is without discipline, if you find yourself making the same mistake over and over and over again, you need structure in your life. And there's something that will hold that structure. Because a lot of us say, yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. And it makes sense. I'm all about the structure. But you, you structure things and then it comes unraveled. So today you're going to learn about what holds it all together. And I'm excited to share that with you today. So let's get started. In your notes... There's a verse that kind of launches us today. It is uh, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. I'd like you to read it with me. I, I, just, I want you to be engaged here. I want this to make sense to you. Let's join our hearts as one. Join me out loud. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. But be sure that everything is done properly and so God is a God of order. The universe is all knit together by the word and power of God and he holds it together. Uh, we learn in laws of physics that matter is neither being created or destroyed. There, there is order to that. And so God is a God of order. Creation is a creation of order. And the church in Corinth, that's, that's who the Apostle Paul is writing to here, he has to teach them this. Because whenever you find disorder, whenever you find people fussing at each other, not getting along, 
you will not find God in the center of that because God is a God of disorder, of order, not disorder. God is clearly a God of order. And so if you're married, you're fussing at each other. God's just not the center of it. Be honest. Call it what it is. You're falling, you may put a little God in there, but again, I'm going to show you about the glue in just a moment. So the mission of the church, what God called us to do, always suffers when we do not have structure that allows us to operate in an orderly way. Now, this stuff is important. It translates into your personal life, into your business, virtually everything you do. But kind of bear with me a little bit today, because three weeks from today, we've got a decision to make, and that is, will we be reborn? Will we affirm Connect Church is the church that from that date forward will be our church community, what we're known as and, and who we identify ourselves with, and will I personally sign on? Again, I hope you'll look before you leap. I hope you'll know and be of deep conviction that this is something I want to be a part of. This is something that God is drawing me into. This makes sense. And so all of us have a responsibility to understand this. So number one, I'm going to give you how good structure within the context, context of a local church is held together. First of all, a biblical church, we're talking about a church pattern after God's word, is structured to connect people to serve as Christ's body. In other words, the structure makes possible our service. The structure is conducive to unity. The structure is conducive to our connecting. It should not, structure should not divide. Whenever you see division and people unwilling to talk together, man, are we seeing this happen right now in our country? We've got a good structure. I'll talk a little bit more about this, but the best structure in the world without good faith without a willingness to operate on a level playing ground of good faith and honesty and integrity, the best structure in the world, if there's not good people, it comes unraveled. In fact, I've said before, I'd rather have bad structure and good people, okay, that have the greatest structure in the world and bad people. Good people are essential to a good marriage to good business, to good government, and to being a part of a good church. In other words, as the members, we have a responsibility. It's not just that, you know, how's the church doing? I don't know, how's Ed doing? How's Pastor Jay doing? How's Mikey doing? We have a structure. And that structure requires us each to fulfill the role for which God has called us to fulfill. And that's, that's where we're going to get started with this next verse because Ephesians 4 spells this structure out, what our jobs are. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, in the Bible, apostles are defined as those who had direct contact with Christ. And, and, and we all know that once the first apostles died, uh, and we're not, we're not talking just a relationship with Christ, but a, a physical, in-the-flesh connection to Christ. That's why Paul was able to say, who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody, was able to say, I, I'm Paul, and I was, I was born in a different time, but Christ made an exception to me. Christ revealed himself 
on the road to Damascus to Paul. He qualified as an apostle. So by my understanding of scripture, there are no apostles today unless God chooses to reveal himself as he did with Paul. The prophets, the Bible's clear what a prophet is. A prophet speaks truth, oftentimes previously unrevealed. Uh, the Old Testament, a lot of people today claim they're prophets, but you know, I, I don't mind them doing that if, as long as they are willing to comply with the penalty for being a false prophet. Because in the Old Testament, if you prophesied something and it did not come about, the penalty was you were stoned. And we got a lot of people saying, oh, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back September 15th. September 16th, they're nowhere to be found. They're cashing the checks from the books they wrote, claiming it was the 15th. In my lifetime, I've seen four different times where people made a big national tour. Here's the date. He's coming. False prophets. Be careful of that. And so prophets, uh, clearly in Scripture, we see who they are. Evangelists. Evangelists are people who move about and, and take the gospel from one place to another. And there's a lot of evangelists today. Billy Graham was an evangelist. He went from city to city, uh, an itinerant ministry of moving from town to town. And then finally, local churches. If scripture basically spells it out. God's gift to the church is pastors and teachers. But here you have the words pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to, what's that word there? Okay, we're going to lock in on this or this is not going to make any sense. Okay, pastors and teacher. Their responsibility is to what? Okay, you got it. My job is to help equip you, God's people, to do his work and build up the church. Your work, your service will grow the church, which is the body of Christ. And that's why we started, number one, how we structured. A church should have pastors and teachers who are willing to take God's word and teach it in a way where people can grow spiritually, where God can change their lives, and they can behave like the body of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Now, now the key phrase, again, equip. We, I made sure you, you heard that. That's my job. Equip. Equipping you to serve. To, to do what? To build up the church and, and to be the body of Christ. This structure allows people to grow spiritually and learn. Now, now the key, we're going to see this a number of times. I'm going to kind of play my hand early here and tell you you're going to see this again. But the, the key to Christ's body, the key to living as Christ's body is a word, very important word, the word is love. Go ahead and write that in. The key, the best structure, structure in the world without love will not be held together. The, you, you, can, you can get married, you can agree to a, a structure, but if you don't love each other, it will in time uh, be divided. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. We're going to look at a lot of verses today, so I'm going to kind of read through these very quickly. You have them in your notes to refer to later. Instead, we will speak the truth in, what's the word? Okay. You've got to say hard things sometimes. In community, in relationship, in a marriage, in business, in government. But man, oh man, the crazy going on now, the rhetoric of people calling each other 
names and the outrage on social media. It is without social kindness or grace. It is harsh. It is mean. It is cruel. And a structure cannot hold up unless we speak the truth in what? What's the word again? Love. It's true in your marriage. Speak life to one another. Speak love to one another. Man, you're not winning any arguments. The winner is not the person that yelled the loudest or even the person that made the greatest case. The, the structure of a marriage can only held, be held together if you speak the truth in love. Now, it goes on to say, growing in every way, more and more like who? Christ. What, 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 what is our goal here? Connect church as a church. Now, structure, you, you won't always see our structure because structure is like a skeleton. It's not the first thing you see when you look at somebody. But man, without a skeleton, they'd be a jellyfish. You, structure holds us up. It supports the muscle. It supports everything. And so we need structure, but it's not the first thing we see. What you can see, however, is someone who is speaking the truth in love growing in every way to be more and more like Christ. I think one of the greatest compliments anybody will ever give you your entire life is if they look at you and say, wow, you're behaving like Jesus. Why is that a big deal? He's the head of the body, the church. He's our example. It's not Ed Holland. It's not anybody else. You're supposed to behave and look like Christ. And, and the glue that holds the structure together and holds everything together is love. Speaking the truth and love. A couple more thoughts. Number two. Let me kind of jump into that real quickly. A biblical church is structured to connect believers as a family. In other words, it's got to be structured so that God's family can connect as, man, sometimes we don't even know each other. And you can't call yourself family if you don't know each other's name. I don't think you have anybody in your biological family that you don't know their name. I mean, it's just kind of a silly thought. But as followers of Christ, a biblical church structured to connect us to others, that's why we say all the time that spiritual growth happens best in community, together. Together we're better in, in, in every way. And, and a church needs to be structured to unite, not divide to allow you to learn names. If you can come in, sit out there, you know, kind of slide in and slide out and never learn a name, we're not doing our job around here. We're not structured properly. We want to give you opportunities. Now, you may not take them, but we want to give you opportunities to connect with others. Now, Scripture defines what we should be. 1 Peter 3.8. Let's look at the next verse. Finally, all of you should be of one mind sympathize with each other, love each other as, what? Brothers and sisters. That's family. Be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. 1 Peter 3.8. This is a part of the structure of the church. And the key, the key to family relationships, being brothers and sisters, is a, a, an amazing word. Let's look at it. The key to a family relationship, and fa all family relationships is, and that word pops up again, love. A family without love will degrade and will in time fall apart. A country, the Bible says very clearly that 
except a house is together. It will be divided. A house divided will fall. A nation that is split down the middle will fall. What makes the difference? You know what our country needs more than anything else? It doesn't need more Democrats or more Republicans. Our, our country needs a, a national revival, the Spirit of God to, to flow through his church, us, you and me, for us to love the world enough to go to work tomorrow, pick three people out and start praying for them every day. I, I don't want to make you mad, but I do feel comfortable making you a little bit uncomfortable. And, and I'm asking you point blank, do you have three people in your neighborhood or three people at work that you pray for every day for them to hear from God so that they can have a relationship with God? If what we say is true, if there's a heaven before us and a hell for those who reject Christ, then how, how in the world can we not be concerned about people who don't know Jesus? So all of us should be of one mind. This, this, common, this common passion, this... God's agenda, signing on, you know. I, I know what this church is all about. Connect Church is about Christ. It is about community, and it is about helping people find the purpose for which God created them. The key to family relationships is love. It is love. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is, what's the word? Growing. Growing. When we talk about Connect Church, we're, we're talking about a community. There's no such thing as a perfect church. You don't have a perfect pastor. You don't have perfect staff. But we are structured to equip you and, and hopefully model and share with you Christ and help you see the love of Christ. When somebody hits me, I don't ever want you to see me hitting them back because that's not what Jesus said to do. If you watch me hit somebody back, you're going to walk away and say, oh, Ed did it. Next person that hits me, man, to the moon. I got a reason. Now, the love of Christ is different than what the world is dealing and selling. You know, the world is, I, honestly, I'm convinced that it's just really come down to this. Whoever can scream the loudest and the longest wins the argument. Whoever can shame somebody else the most without having a, a sincere dialogue and a discussion as to what the real issues really are. A lack of love will cause earthquakes that will tear down any structure. The highways in California can't hold up to the earthquake. Lack of love, lack of glue, the structure will fall apart. I want you to understand that as we get started. Number three, Last thought, a biblical church is structured to connect people in fellowship. It is structured to connect people in fellowship. One of the reasons I love our staff so much is they all get this. Uh, Pastor Randy, you probably know him the least, loves the Lord, but man, he is so deeply committed to helping people connect in fellowship. You know, Pastor Jay took on a, a new assignment just recently. He'd been our student ministry pastor, and some of you kids may not know this name, but he, he was getting older, and we didn't want him to be the Dick Clark of student ministries. And some of you kids, you ask your parents when you get home, find out. I mean, this guy was doing teenage concerts when he was 85 years old, and we didn't think that would work for Jay, so 
and he's a few years short of 85. But he took on a role of helping us connect together in fellowship through small groups. Small groups have Bible study. Small groups, certainly you pray, but it's based on relationship and fellowship. And I, and I love him for taking that on. Mikey has stepped in. Mikey, where are you? I know you're out there. Yeah, right down here. He's young, man. He, he is handsome. He's smart. He's finishing up his college and student ministries. If you got a kid, you know what? Pray for this guy. He's taken on an awesome job. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But I love our staff because they get this. A biblical church is structured to connect people in what? Fellowship. You, never, you forget what fellowship is. Just remember my stupid corning line. Fellowship is a bunch of fellas in a ship. Okay? So go ahead. All together moan on that one. Okay? All believers. Let's go look at the verse. There's got to be a scripture to back this up. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, what's that word? Fellowship. They shared stuff, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. They ate together. They liked each other. They hung out together. They, they fellowshiped together. They got in the same ship, and they hung out together. This is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. It should be structured to promote fellowship, to behave like a family. Families have rules, but you know what the biggest thing that holds a family together? It's not rules. It's relationship. Rules are important. Don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, ultimately, after somebody breaks every rule in the family, they're still a part of the family because you love them. There is a relationship. And in church, the key to it all, okay, ready, get ready. It's going to be a surprise answer. Fill in the blank here. The key to Christian fellowship is love. Three times here. I want to make sure we get this. What an amazing thought that God has called us to love one another. We're going to be known by that. And you can't just do a flyover and a pass-through and not connect it. You're not growing spiritually. You're not becoming what God's called you to, to become. And our church has to be structured that way. And when you sign on and say, I want to be a charter member of Connect Church, I, I hope you're buying into the idea that God's called us to love one another. That's the glue that's going to hold us all together. And yet the, more, some churches look more, if you know your West Virginia history in Kentucky, look more like the Hatfields and who? The McCoys who fuss and fight and feud amongst themselves when the truth is God's called us to love one another. That's the key. That's the key to it all. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 let me throw that verse at you. If there's any encouragement, is there? It's a question. Now, this, by the way, is a rhetorical question. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes. You see, rhetorical. Is there any comfort from his love? Help me with that one. Yes. Okay. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes. A little, little more there. Any fellowship in the spirit? Yes. Okay. We got it. What are we saying? That the body of Christ has a potential. And you know, this must have been a problem back then because Paul, right in the church of Philippi, wouldn't have been asking these rhetorical questions if they had it down. And so he put in the letter to the church at Philippi, 
preserved for us because that problem still hangs around because we all sometimes get out there and think we can make it on our own when the truth is we desperately need one another. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? They should be. They should be. Connect Church is structured to provide the highest level of accountability and relationship, empowering spiritual leaders. We're going to talk more about that to make spiritual decisions so the pastors and teachers can equip the church. Now, we're going to talk more about this accountability thing. We're not going to get sidetracked with that right now. But I, I just want to give you one example. I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, we're talking structure. It's important to have structure in your life, structure in your marriage. Structure, if you're raising kids, you know what your kids want more than anything else? They want structure. I mean, they, they think they want chaos, but if you're going by the approach to parenting that the kids are the CEO of that little empire you call your home and your family, that chaos is going to cause a wear-down effect and a lack of love, and, and frankly, they won't respect you in the long run. They don't need a buddy. They need parents. And all parents said amen. Amen? amen. That's exactly what... And they need it in love. That's the glue that holds it all together. So here you go. How, how, how is Connect Church to be structured? We're going to have a set of bylaws. We're, we're going to pass those out. Uh, bylaws have some of the nuances of how we work and, and how things behave. Deacon's got a meeting today real quick, pick up some of the bylaws. Everybody's going to have them. We're not going to ask you to look at something for two seconds and sign on. We're going to give you a chance to, to look it over because this is a big deal. This is not a little thing, being a charter member of a new church. But one of the cool things about the way we're structured is we are structured to facilitate the mission. Some churches are structured, they're so manage, management and top-heavy structured that if, if someone who wants to do ministry is inspired and, and has a great idea if it comes down from God, you know, and, and really the stuff that I buy into that I believe is from God is I got a chapter and a verse to back it up. I, I'm not getting out there just going, well, I feel a certain way. Let's do this. There's got to be a verse to it. But one of the things God has called us to do is take the gospel, to go places where there is darkness, places where there is a, a gospel void, and our missions team, uh, a group of people who deeply believe in missions, we define missions as mission outside of our local church, okay? We, we believe that, that when Jesus told the church to go out to Jerusalem, that's where the church was at the time, and then Judea, that was a little further out, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth, that was simultaneous. So we have a missions team. And most people on the mission team have taken mission trips. They are the real deal. And so last, this Wednesday night of this last week, we have structure, okay? We, we heard about a mission opportunity, one of our own, one of our family members. Uh, you, you probably know uh, Reverend Theodore Wilson. Theo has preached here for us before. He's a part of our church family. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Theo. Yay. Uh, his son, Theo III, Shechem, who is, he is known for, uh, Native American, for leader, 
uh, is a significantly gifted soccer player, uh, or as the rest of the world would call it, a footballer. And, uh, you know, huge success in college, in the Division I level, played at Liberty University, made a go at it on a professional level in some of the lower level leagues last year, was successful. Being given a chance to go to Europe and try out, take the next step, and, you know, there, there, there ultimately is a hope and a dream there of playing at the next level and the next level, the premium leagues. But at the end of the day, here it is. This is not about soccer. It has nothing to do with soccer. It has everything to do with a brother from our church, part of our family who we love. You may not know him that well because he has been traveling a lot since his family has been a part of our church. But I've gotten to know him. He's the real deal. You know what his passion is? He's connected with a missions agency who believes that gifted soccer players should be given a chance to strategically be implanted into teams around the world where there is no light and there is no salt. And so how are we structured as a church? Our missions team got together. Uh, many of you give designated missions. Uh, we want to get them over there and get them a chance. Now, I hope he hits it big. And frankly, if he does, when he tithes, we can pay for the rest of the building, okay? <laughs> but frankly, right now, he's living in hostels, okay? Living on, frankly, from a standpoint of his budget, I've seen it, in to, which he's going to eat on. Some of you spend more at McDonald's at lunch than what his budget's going to be. But the missions team said, we want to be a part of that. And so we looked at our account, and we said, we got... He needs about $4,000 to get rolling here. We know what we got. We're going to give him a chunk of that. We're going to write a check out for $1,200. But then one of our missions team members said, hey, Pastor Ed, let's just let everybody else know. Maybe the Lord's going to put it on somebody else's heart. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. Pastor Ed, don't we have a building to pay for? Yes, we do. But, but I think God is pleased when his people unselfishly buy into other mission that's a part of God's grand plan, and we don't narrow our vision and think only of ourselves. God loves a cheerful, what's that word, giver. So a church that gives will never be in want for anything. I want to be a part of a giving church. That helps you understand our church. But how are we structured? Ed didn't get out and write a check because Ed can't write a check. Ed's not a signee. Ed doesn't go in the room and count the money. Ed doesn't. Just hear me say this. It's a team thing. And so what we want you to understand, if you give, maybe some of you don't give because you're sitting there thinking, I don't know where it goes and I don't know how it works. By the time this is done, the next couple of weeks, you're going to know probably more than you want to know about how it works. But I, I wanted to end with that because here it is. It is all for the purpose of being the body of Christ so that we can do the mission. And our structure has to free us to do that. If structure limits you in what God's called you to do, if I'd have had to call 10 more meetings and have a church vote, I mean, the time, the window for him to go and be a part of this would have come and gone. And so today, there's no pressure to this. God loves a cheerful giver. We're, we're going to set a couple of the baskets out back. You drop it in there. Uh, again, our structure, there are people who are confidential. We'll make sure that gets deposited in the bank and 100% of what's in that 
will go to him to help him get there to be the light and the salt. Isn't that cool? To me, that just makes sense. That's what the church should be all about. Why do we do that? Because we love our brother. And we love people we don't even know in Europe. One of the most gospel-deficient areas is the professional levels of professional sports. In America, we got some Christians in the NFL. Yay. I'm so thankful for that. Not so much when you get to Europe. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. And I hope more than anything else when you leave here today, you're going to remember the one underlying glue that holds it all together is love. Love for God, love for people. That's what changes the world. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I, I pray that uh, you speak to our hearts today. This has been instructional and a lot of information. But Lord, help us to feel inspired by the fact that we get to be a part of something that has a good structure. And it's our part to love one another. So Lord, speak to us today. If, if there's a lack of structure in our life, and the life we're living is coming unraveled, Lord, help us. Help us today to find structure, to get help. Lord, if there's someone here who's not born again, I pray that today they would call upon your name, repent of their sins, and be born again. I pray you'd give them new life, forgiveness of sin. Lord, if there's a marriage that's suffering from lack of structure, lack of love, I pray that today be the first step toward getting that marriage put back together. Lord, help us to love you and love each other like you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand together with me if you would. Thank you for listening today. We hope your heart was inspired. For more information or directions, visit us at abt316.com.